If you would this morning, in your copy of Scripture, turn with me to Genesis 8. Genesis chapter 8. Oh boy, those videos always get to me. It's not just the video, it's the meaning behind it all. I, uh, I've always had a heart for the military, always asked the Lord to help me get over there some way to serve, but uh, He said, you're just simply in my army and that's it. So I tried to do the military chaplaincy thing even, but no, not going to happen. Um, but I do thank everyone who has served and <clears throat> is uh, currently serving. We actually um, have a few people that are still in uh, service right now. So thank you for what you do. Notice in Genesis chapter 8, uh, we've, you know, this, this year we're, we're finding all of the sermons in the Old Testament. And a lot of them end up landing in Genesis because there's so many important things that cannot be missed in this book. Let's look at one of those, which is the ending of the flood story, the flood narrative. Notice these words starting in chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens were, was restrained. And the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. In the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, would You now bless this reading of Your Word by the power of Your Spirit so that we don't just understand it, but that we experience it. That we don't just experience it, but that we respond to this Word that is from You, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I forget... It's something that I do, and it's something I forget like big things. I forget things you shouldn't forget. I forget things that were told to me a week ago, and I should have remembered, and I just simply did not remember. This happened to me actually twice last week, and uh, they're, they're pretty comical things. I, uh, I, for, I remember one time I forgot actually a lady's name that I was supposed to be praying for at the hospital, which is a disaster. Uh, because, you know, you're supposed to know them, you do know them, but you can't remember their name, and you have to pray for them, and what do you say? Other than using a thousand pronouns to pray, it was an awful prayer. It was a disaster. Lord, help her, and I pray that you would her, 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 and I'm like wanting to shoot myself, you know, just what is wrong with you? Why can't you remember her name? I never, I never, I don't, still, I don't know who her name is today even. Um, I forget things all the time church-wise that are coming up. I'm surprised like you are sometimes when something comes down. And, uh, and I've forgotten you know, all sorts of things. Last week I forgot the recorder of all things and had to go send someone uh, to grab it for me. And so I forget, but also you forget. You forget a lot too. I know you do because sometimes I'll say something in the announcements and somebody will ask me, Hey, I haven't heard anything about that. What, 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 what in the world are we doing? When are we doing it? I'm like, um, have you seen the bulletin? Have you heard my voice? And you're here, but you forget. We forget. Even uh, after 9-11, there was sort of a, 
a saying that stuck with, um, with that disaster, and that is, never forget. Because humans have a tendency to forget. We don't remember like we should. Good news is this. God doesn't forget. Amen. He doesn't forget. Now, the situation we find ourselves in here in Genesis, it starts in chapter 6, where God tells us that the world had gotten so bad, everyone was so evil that all they ever thought about was evil and that continually. Literally is the gist of the interpretation of what is said in the Hebrew here. That they constantly thought about evil and only evil continually. And God says, I am actually sorry that I made mankind. That's an interesting statement alone, isn't it? And without dealing with that, I'll move on and simply say, God then says, I'm going to remove humans from the face of the earth. And in order to do that, he sends a flood. Now again, I always kind of joke that uh, this is one of the stories in the Bible that always makes it into kids' books, and I really don't know why. Um, there's, it's, it's a complete disaster. Everybody dies except for one family and whoever gets in the ark, and yet it makes it into all the kids' books. Um, I don't know if we just simply ignore that part or the animals really captivate us, but even the animals died, we're told, because of the sin of mankind. Because what you'll find in Genesis along with the rest of the Bible is sin cannot be contained. You think you can control it. You think you've got it under control. But just as with Cain and Abel, God says to Cain right before he walks out to murder his brother, He says, Cain, sin is crouching at your door and will pounce upon you if you walk through that door like a wild beast. That's what sin's like. Sin's not contained. You don't have it under control. You've already seen moments in your life where you didn't have it under control. Where if you were to be exposed right now, you'd be fired from your job. You'd be ostracized by your family for what you've done. I would be. We all have sins that would put us under. We've all broken God's law and we all feel the weight of what could be. When I went to prison for Kairos, prison ministry, I saw people like myself. What's it like in there? It's like seeing you in white. In all white. People that are in their 50s. 70s, 20s, and they look like you. They used to be an engineer. They used to be on a track to be a doctor. They used to be this or that, and they're not any longer. They're in prison. Because of a few decisions they made that you could just as easily have made. Texting on your phone would be an example that came to my mind very, very weightily during my time there. Could land you in there for manslaughter for years. Some people were doing that. 
They were in there. We only think of the atrocious stuff, but other stuff can land you there. We forget. That's why we have to be constantly reminded. You could be there next week. It's not out of the question. And so God, one of the things that God does in our world is He restrains evil. Now notice He doesn't get rid of it. Not completely at least. Not yet. There will be a day. There will be a day. But not for now. For now He restrains evil. He pulls it back. And this flood is actually Him restraining evil. He sends Water to wash away evil in the world. Now, it doesn't do it completely because we know once they get off the ark that they start sinning again. And again and again and again. Sin is not containable. It must be restrained in our life and only God can ultimately do that kind of restraining power at work in us. Now, not only that, some have said, come on, man, you really believe in a flood? I had a, had a history professor actually at the school that I teach at sitting across from me. He's my office mate. And he said to me just out of the blue, I mean, I was working on something, you know, I wasn't even talking to him. And, uh, and he just out of the blue says, you really believe there was some kind of worldwide flood? I mean, really? Like that's, that's a kid's story. I said, well, <laughs> you are a historian. If everybody in the ancient world is saying there's a flood, I believe there's a flood. He said, what do you mean? I said, if you read mythology from the time of the Israelites, from the earliest documents that we have, which Genesis is one of the earliest documents we have, and you, but you read the Enuma Elish, you read the Babylonians' account, Akkadians' account, everybody, everybody in the ancient world is talking about a flood. It doesn't matter if you go down to tribal religions, everybody talks about a flood. If everybody's talking about a flood, as a historian, you have to say that there was probably a flood. How are you going to pontificate from where you're sitting here and tell them what they did and saw? No, there was a flood. No, there was a flood. And God was the cause of that flood. Unlike the myths, in the myths actually, humans are just simply too loud for the gods. They're making too much noise. And so for those of you who do not like noise, uh, that's why the gods actually sent the flood in myths. That's not why God sends the flood here, is it? It's immorality. It's sin. It's evil. He's restraining evil, pulling back on evil. Isn't this what our military does? Around the world? Restrains evil? Can we get rid of it? No. But we can restrain it, can't we? That's why our laws are in place. You see, we've picked up the same mission God has, and that is to restrain evil. In order to get rid of evil, you say, why don't you just get rid of it? Then you're going to go up in a flame. Because unfortunately, you have evil running through you. At least according to the Scriptures, it says that we are born into iniquity. And this is why God gets the ball rolling with Abraham to cleanse us from all sin. Because naturally, we are evil. Not good. Not neutral. Evil. And we've all felt that. And I pray that you felt the restraining 
power of God in your life. There's actually a theological word for that. It's called prevenient grace. It's the grace that prevents you from ruining your life. And thanks be to God that even before we know Him, He's already at work preventing us from going into full force death and evil. That's His grace toward us, toward me. And so God sends this flood, and of course, 40 days and 40 nights it pours forth, and then you have this long wait, even after that, where Noah is just simply on the ark. Now, if you remember the dimension of the ark, it wasn't like he had a lot of windows. It's one window. So it's not like he's got a great view of everything. And he shut up in this ark for so long. Now, just think about this. He was saved from the flood. That's a huge thing, right? And yet now he's probably depressed and wondering where God is. You ever been there? I mean, he's delivered you from this great thing. He saved you. And yet now you're saying, God, uh, what do we do now? Where are you now? Why are you silent? If you read the book of Psalms, you're going to be surprised at how many times the psalmist says, Oh Lord, how long? How long will you wait, O Lord, to answer my prayer? How long will you let me sit in this mess? How long, O Lord? There are more laments, which is a type of psalm. A psalm of lament is where he's crying out to God to save him in some way. There's more of those. There's 70-something of those out of the 150 psalms in the book of Psalms. That should tell us something. Is Most of our life is actually probably going to be spent on the open seas in the tumultuous sea of life. Not on the mountaintop. Now, those mountaintops are great, aren't they? Amen. Everybody loves them. But just as Jesus told Peter, James, and John when He transfigured before them on the mountain of transfiguration, we must not stay here. We need to go back down to the valley. We need to go back into the sea to save those who are perishing. You remember Peter wanted to build a temple there. He said, hey, we can build build a temple. Three of them. One for Moses, one for you, one for uh, Elijah. And first of all, no, no. Those guys are not on a par with Jesus. Because you remember what happens is when they actually can see again because He's not so bright, they're gone. But who remains? It said Jesus alone. And in your life, it's not Moses, it's not somebody else, it's not you, it's Jesus alone alone who will carry you in this life. He is the ark of salvation. He is the ark of the covenant. He is the true temple that we go into to find salvation. He's the ark. His body. His literal body that's in heaven. We're not talking about some ghost. We are talking about a physical resurrected, you could touch it, walks in the room, you can see Him and hear Him, smell Him. We're talking about Jesus who took on flesh for us in order to save us from our sin, from our evil. And the way He does it is by taking it on Himself, head on, front ways. The full brunt of our anger, the full brunt of our evil. I love the way chapter 8 starts because you, you get the flood in, you know, initiation in 6, you get the whole flood in 7 and, and all the animals and all that sort of thing. 
Then in 8, right at the beginning, just very simply, but God. Now that, that's, a, that's a great saying anyway, isn't it? I mean, but God, right? You can, you can put that behind any situation you want to. Name what you're having to deal with right now. Name what is the problem and you can say, but God. Notice what happens though, but God remembered Noah. And you say, hang on, whoa, whoa, back the train up. Does God forget? Did he forget Noah? Is that what happened? And all of a sudden, oh, oh, oh I forgot about little Noah down here. Let's, let's attend to him now. Sort of like when my kid asked me to do something, I say, yeah, yeah, okay, hang on. Just a and then I forget, of course, and they're still waiting. Is that God? No, of course that's not God. So what is meant here by remembered? Well, I actually looked this word up and, and did, a little, did a little word study, which, is, which, is, um, which can be boring. This one's not because there wasn't so many. <laughs> so there's actually not a whole lot of references to remembered in the Scripture. About 70-something. <clears throat> and most of them actually do not deal with God remembering. It actually has to do with us remembering. Or either some form of maybe he remembered his covenant. But not like, oh, God remembered, how it says here, Noah. But it will say specifically he remembered Abraham. He remembered Sarah. He remembered Hannah. Now what's unique about those situations is just what Jason was talking about a moment ago in his testimony. They were barren. They were a desert And in the ancient world, if you didn't have kids, it was over for you. There was no progeny. There was no money. There was no prestige. You were ostracized. Why? Because the most natural thing in the world is to have a baby. Now in our culture, we've usurped that process. We've degraded the process. We've disconnected. Because of the sexual revolution, we've disconnected that process. That's a process that God Himself created. And I don't know exactly what to say other than that. And when we disconnect it, I think we are, again, contracepting something that maybe shouldn't be. Now again, that's not anything to do with just simply contraceptives. However, it's interesting in our culture we never think about that. I'll just simply leave it at that. Here, they were actually not able to have a child, Abraham and Sarah. And again, in the ancient world, that was it. People looked at you and said, something's wrong with her, do not get near her, you'll catch it. Literally, I mean, this is the way they thought. But God gives them a son. In their old age. I mean, well into their 90s. Not only that, Hannah cries and prays at the altar so much that the priest says, please get up and go home and sober up. You're drunk. Because her mouth was moving, but she wasn't saying anything verbally. She says, no, no, sir, I'm not. I'm not. I'm praying for a son. And he says, may the Lord do it then. And guess what? God did it. Guess who we get from Hannah? Samuel. Samuel, even Naomi are reading from Ruth. Naomi, said, Naomi tells her to her sister-in-law, she says, look, just call me bitter. Because that's what I am. 
I'm bitter that God took my sons. I'm bitter because I have no family at all. I'm just going to go back home and die. And Ruth says, well, I'm coming with you then. Your God's going to be my God. So even when Naomi lost faith, a pagan had faith. Who was no longer a pagan anymore, was she? Ruth, who makes it into the very line and lineage of Jesus. But God remembered these people. He also remembered His covenant. See, there's kind of two motions with God remembering. One is it's going to result in blessing. In other words, He remembers you. In other words, He acts in your favor. He acts to to give you mercy. The other, however, is He remembers your evil. Uh, That's the bad kind of remembering, right? Several times in the Bible it says, He remembered a certain group of people, the Ammonites, whatever, and did justice to them, brought judgment to their home. In Revelation, this term remembered is actually mentioned twice, both instances with Babylon. Remember we talked a couple weeks back about the two cities? Babylon being always the epitome of the evil kingdom. And God says, I will remember their evil and destroy them. And they will be no more. So it's really almost ironic that by Him remembering the evil, they will not be remembered. By Him remembering you who cry out to Him and repent, you actually are remembered. And so we think of somebody like, for instance, Peter and Judas. Both of them betray Jesus, don't they? Actually, Peter's even given a heads up. Peter, you're going to betray me. No, 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 Lord, I've got your back, man. I mean, I'm concealed carry here, right? That's what he told him. I got the sword on me. I'm ready. I'll go to you to the end, big guy. The rooster crows. Jesus looks directly at him. And you know what it says? He remembered what was said at the table. Peter. Judas, same kind of thing. He leaves, goes, betrays Jesus for some money. Ends up trying to give it back. Ends up trying to find his own way. Never says he remembered God. Never says he remembered Jesus. He goes out and hangs himself. Ends his life. One is remembered for their betrayal. The other is not. The other is remembered for being the rock. Peter, the rock. Why? Because of how they responded to Jesus. One tried to cover it up and make things right himself. You can never make it right. Amen. You don't have the power to make it right. You haven't been the one who has been offended. God is. There's no amount of sacrifice or money or volunteer work that will ever save you. The only thing that will save you is to fall on the grace of God. To cry out like these others. Whether it's from the desert of barrenness or on the tumultuous sea, we must cry out to the One who says, I'll remember. 
I'm the God who sees. I think of Hagar and Ishmael who were sent out away from Sarah because she was angry. Even after it was her own doing that allowed it. And it says that God saw her. Isn't that a good thing? He saw, Now, He sees everybody, right? He remembers everything, right? He knows everything. And yet, He chooses in this moment to really see her and let her know that He saw her. Aren't you glad for those times in your life where you know that you know that you know that He's seen your plight? Some of you need that. Some of you need to be able to leave this place this morning saying, I know God has remembered me. Now, He loves you more than you can imagine. Some of you are needing to say, you, you want to say, you know what, I need God you not to forget me. Now, there is one thing that God will forget. That's your sin if you allow Him to. What He says is actually this, I will choose to forget it. Never be brought up again. Now, see, we don't play that game, do we? That's not the game that any of us play. We all secretly have our little black book. You know what I mean? The one we pull out real quick. Okay, let's see. So-and-so said this. I'm going to mark that down just so when we're in a conversation next time, I can bring it up in an email or in a phone call. Come on, I got your number, buddy. All right. We watch each other, don't we? We remember in order to hurt. We remember in order to accuse. You know who the father of accusing is? Satan. No, we need to throw the black book away. Amen. Forgive 70 times 70. In other words, infinity. Forgive and just keep forgiving. Because God has forgiven us. We don't have a right to hold it against anybody. Let it go. Release it. When you do... You'll no longer be in a garden. I mean, in a, in a desert. You'll be in a garden. You'll start producing fruit. No longer in the tumultuous sea, but you'll start seeing just like Noah does here. You'll start seeing mountaintops. I mean, you know that was an awesome time for him to finally see a mountaintop. All he's seen is water. Now he sees these mountaintops. And the, I love what it says here. It says that God sent a wind. Now, now here's here's a cool thing. In the Hebrew, wind is actually spirit. Wind is breath. So back in Genesis 1 and 2, it says that the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. Literally, in the Hebrew, it could also be said, the wind hovered over the deep. The wind of God. The Spirit is the wind of God. Don't you need that wind to blow in your life? To clear back the waters? You feel like you're up to here? That you're drowning? You can't tread any longer? Just hold on. He will remember you. He will. And He'll come through for you if you will look to Him. If you never look up though, if you never look beyond, you're going to drown. It's the only other option. You'll drown in your sin. You'll drown in your own selfishness. It's what sin does to us. 
No, He wants to blow that wind to let the waters recede so that the dry ground can produce fruit again. Love the story as it continues and we just simply don't have a lot of time so I have to summarize. He sends out two birds. You remember this? The first is a raven. And the raven goes and it never comes back. And you're thinking, oh, okay, well that's a good sign that there's... No, it's not. A raven, at least this kind that we're thinking uh, this bird was, is carnivorous. So it could have fed off the dead, bloated bodies of those decaying animals still floating. It was having a heyday out there, but didn't mean there was dry ground. So Moses, uh, Moses, Noah. <clears throat> that's a joke, by the way. You know, you can say to somebody, "How many, how many animals did Moses take on the ark?" And they'll always be like, "Yeah, no, no, Moses didn't do the ark." You know? Anyway, he sends out, he sends out now a dove. The dove comes back, sends it out again, and the dove finally comes back with an olive branch. Meaning there was life again on the earth. And that symbol of an olive branch throughout any place that the Bible has ever impacted has always been a sign of peace. And that dove shows up over and over again in the Bible and in your life as well. That dove that descends... I was trying to look and see what flag we had flying. Uh, That dove that descends down upon us who is the Holy Spirit. Do you remember Jesus' baptism? In water, dove, ding, 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 right? This is all connected. The dove descends when He's baptized. And when we are baptized into Christ and to His church... His Spirit descends upon us in order to blow back the evil out of our life so that there might be new life. That's what He's offering today. That's what He's offering for you today. He can do that. He will remember you. Our job is to remember Him. Amen. You say, how do we do that? Pray. So I don't know how to pray. Just talk to God. Everybody knows how to pray because everybody can talk and communicate in this room that I know of at least. I'm looking around to make sure. I think so. Some of you don't do a good job of it. I don't always do a good job of it. But we know how to talk. You know what, you know what is required in prayer? Just for you to be honest. I love uh, The Matrix, one of my favorite movies, whatever. Oh, there's always this one part I think about God when uh, He's about to meet Morpheus and He says, Be honest. He knows more than you can imagine. Yeah, that's God. Be honest with Him. If you honestly come to Him today at these altars, these these places that represent meeting places where, where it gets real thin, heaven and earth, where God promises to meet us, if you'll be honest today about your plight, He will remember you. I'm telling you that today. I'm promising you that because He's remembered over and over again in the pages of this Bible. Person after person, Israel over and over again, He remembers His covenant. He remembers His promises. And here's what He promises. He says, For I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good and not of evil. To give you a future and hope. And so you'll go and pray to me and I will answer you when you have prayed to me with all of your heart. 
The prerequisite for getting an answer is with all your heart. You actually have to need God. He's not an add-on. He's not an app to be added to a multiplicity of apps. He's the operating system. So this morning, do you feel like you're in the desert? Feel like God is silent? Feel like the floodwaters are up to here? I've got good news for you. He will remember you, which means He's going to act. Just hold on. In faith, hold on. Pray with all of your heart. Give Him your heart and your life, your family, your finances, your problems. He will hear you. He sees you. And that's good news, my friend. Amen. Amen.